Welcome to the fucking show. And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This is episode 86. We are just coming off the first week of college football. We are getting ready and excited for week one in the NFL. A little programming note before we get into this episode. There's no mail sack this week. This is one of the first episodes in a long time that there has not been a mail sack, but there is a lot to get to. We have to recap and look forward to of week one of college football and week two of college football. We also have to give a full preview of week one of the NFL and also a more season-long type preview. So there's a lot to get to. I just wanted to cut that mail sack segment out for this week. We will be doing a mail sack next week, so please Get your questions ready, primed, ready to go to send them in for next week. But this week, unfortunately, there will not be one. Just a little program note. Again, before we get into it, I do need to remind you all, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. You can do that on iTunes, and you can now do that on Spotify. This podcast is now available on Spotify, and doing all of those things greatly helps out Carson Sack. Helps me out a lot, so thank you for doing that. Without further ado, let's just get right into it. I'm going to be talking about week one of the college football season that was, and then I'll be looking ahead to week two. Then we can get into some NFL. So let's get started with some week one. And the first game I just want to talk about from this is the Alabama-Miami game. I don't think anybody really thought this game, the outcome was in doubt ever. Uh, You look at it, Alabama goes up 27-0 at one point. Uh, The first half score was 27-3. Miami was able to get a late field goal in that. But again, as I said in the preview for this game last week, Alabama just finds ways to win over and over again, year after year after year. You look back, last year it was the offense. This year, some people are saying it's the defense that's going to need them to win, that maybe this is one of the better defensive teams that Saban has had in a long time. Well, it fooled me because the Alabama offense was clicking right away. Again, they put up 27 points unanswered. Uh, Bryce Young goes out there, 344 yards and four touchdowns. Jamison Williams, the transfer from Ohio State, he comes in, four receptions, 126 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, John Mechie as well, the wide receiver there, did well. The run game wasn't all that necessary, but Robinson, 12 carries, 60 yards. I'm sure that's going to increase as the year goes on. Looking at it from the Miami perspective, uh, King, their quarterback, just wasn't able to get anything going. He did have two turnovers as well, two interceptions, but... My, uh, excuse me, Alabama's defense was able to bottle him up as the biggest playmaker for Miami. He only had 178 yards and a touchdown through the air. Uh, the leading receiver for Miami only had 55 yards and a touchdown. So really the defense came and showed up for Alabama, which was expected. Looking now at Alabama's schedule, they take a week off this next week with Mercer, but then they have to play Florida 
330 game CBS. That'll be interesting. Florida with Emory Jones coming off their win against FAU, I believe. Um, they, Florida next week faces South Florida. South Florida's terrible. But that that's an early season test for Alabama that it'll be interesting to see how on the road in a hostile environment with a young quarterback, how all of that goes and works and everything. So it'll be exciting to see. Moving on, the next game I would like to talk about is the big one from Saturday night that I didn't watch a ton of. I was at a, a lake, so I was predisposed with some things, but I was popping in and out, and the game I'm talking about is Georgia-Clemson. Georgia ends up winning. I did predict they would do that on last week's episode, so that's Way to go. Way to go, Carson. But JT Daniels for them, 135 yards and an interception. White, the running back, 13 carries, 74 yards. Bowers, the leading receiver for Georgia with six receptions, 43 yards. On the other side of the ball, Clemson, uh, DJ Igen. I'm not not great at pronouncing his last name, so I'm just going to call him DJ. But 178 yards and an interception. That interception was a pick six. That was the only touchdown of the game. What was a bit concerning for Clemson was the offensive line play and the rushing game. Uh, their leading rusher had 10 yards. I think they rushed for a total of two yards. Once you factor in like negative rushing yard plays and everything, they rushed for two yards total. Um, on the outside, Ross and then Nagata, Nagata, he stepped up big for them but couldn't find the end zone. Nagata had six receptions, 110 yards. Looking at this in the great, in the bigger picture, this game, both defenses showed up and played well. What is concerning is how both of these offensives looked. All year, you had heard maybe this is the year Georgia takes that next step and their offense is a little bit more dynamic, and that just wasn't the case on Saturday. And then with Clemson, obviously, you had the questions, how are you going to replace Trevor Lawrence? How do you replace Travis Etienne? What is that going to look like? How is this offensive line going to do? And there's still question marks surrounding both of these teams. Make no doubt about that. What is a known fact is both of these teams' defenses are some of the best in the country. Clemson's front seven, extremely good. Georgia's front seven, extremely good. If you look now at Georgia, they position themselves extremely well for this season to sort of have a cakewalk to at least the SEC championship game. And if they do find themselves there undefeated, I find it probably hard to believe you keep a one-loss SEC team out of the playoff if it comes down to, say, Georgia and Clemson again. Well, you look at their head-to-head matchups and everything, and Georgia has this win over Clemson. But looking down at Georgia's schedule... They have UAB next week. They welcome South Carolina in two weeks. And then Vanderbilt, Arkansas, that could be a dangerous game. At Auburn, Auburn looked fine this week, but it was against an inferior opponent. Kentucky goes to Georgia. I'm sure all the Cats fans that listen to this are going to want to say, hey, they're going to pull off the upset. More than not likely. And again, as I said last week, really, if Georgia could get past this first game with a win, Their next hardest game isn't until October 30th, and that's when they go and play Florida in Jacksonville or wherever they play it on the neutral site and everything. So Georgia set themselves up already for a 
a cakewalk to once again at least the SEC championship game, if not the college football playoff. Looking at Clemson and how this loss affects them, they have to be perfect this year. I saw some tweets on Twitter saying that this is it. The ACC, no one's getting in from the ACC. Clemson shouldn't even be thought of. If you look at the remaining Clemson schedule, they do not have a game against a ranked opponent on their schedule as of now. That can change, obviously, but... As of now, there's nobody. The best team that they could play, probably North Carolina in the uh, college, excuse me, in the ACC championship game, they lost week one, looked pretty terrible, did North Carolina going to Virginia Tech. Miami as well could be the the next best team they could play, but we saw how they looked against Alabama. Uh, Granted, a lot of teams would have looked that way against Alabama, but this really obviously hurts Clemson's chances to make the college football playoff. They're going to have to be perfect. They probably even have to be in blowout mode the entire year to get style points in the committee's eyes, and they're going to have to win the ACC, and hopefully that ACC title game is against somebody with a one loss. Like maybe they, Clemson will need a good solid win that last week in the ACC championship game if they are to make it that far to still be considered for the college football playoff, in my opinion. Again, coming out of this, there, I think, are more questions than answers, but you have to be hopeful for, I guess, both of these teams, but more especially Georgia, coming into this and how their defense showed up and how well they did play, then you need to focus on that more than the offense. I think the offense is going to come along, will be there, but it showed that, hey, you can still win ugly. Kirby wins his big one, uh, one of the few big, big victories that he has had as a Georgia coach so far in his tenure. But, again, Georgia positions itself extremely well for a path to the SEC championship game and, in turn, the college football playoff. And then Clemson coming out of this game has to be perfect and they still might not even make it given what they what their schedule is going to look like some other scores and notes from the weekend Louisiana going to Texas I was high on Texas the first game under Sark they looked as advertised and again Bajan Robinson 20 carries 103 yards and a touchdown not the best stat line obviously but a very good stat line but I cannot be higher on him I'm it's a year away, but I'm predicting him to win the Heisman next year. Uh, you look at the quarterback play for Texas. Card, 224 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Withington for Texas, the receiver, seven receptions, 113 yards and a touchdown. It is going to be extremely interesting to see how that offense continues to progress under Sark in this first year. You go and you look at Texas's schedule. If they can put some things together and keep rolling up until that Oklahoma game where Oklahoma in this first week going up against Tulane, a weird situation having to play the game in Norman, everything like that, but Oklahoma only winning 40 to 35. Uh Rattler at times looking rattled, turning it over a few times. I'm not pushing the panic button at all on Oklahoma, but that defense that was vaunted for them this year, saying it was improved, everything like that, that this wasn't a typical Oklahoma team. You give up 35 points to Tulane. You let their quarterback throw for three touchdowns, almost 300 yards. Um, it's not 
it's not time to push the panic button for Oklahoma yet. Um, a little concerning, but they they welcome Nebraska next week. Then they have West Virginia. Then the big matchup with Texas is October 9th. So not time to push the panic button yet for Oklahoma and that defense, but you would have liked to have seen maybe a more decisive victory for Oklahoma in their week one. And then going back to Texas, as I said, if they can keep going, and improving before that Oklahoma matchup, that'll be, <clears throat> excuse me, a intriguing matchup, no less. But they have Rice next week. Rice played Arkansas tough. Uh, Rice was leading at one point by double digits in that game before ending up losing to Arkansas. Then Texas welcomes Texas Tech. They go to TCU. That's always been a challenging game before, again, on the ninth, they have to play Oklahoma. So both of those teams seen how, the offense for Texas continues to progress and how the defense for Oklahoma hopefully continues to progress because Oklahoma coming into this year has all of this expectation to, hey, maybe this is our year. Our defense is improved. It looks to be improving, but you let 35 get hung on you by Tulane in your own. I know it was technically an away game, but in Norman, a bit concerning. So it'll be interesting to see how both of those teams, offenses and defenses, progress through this year looking and continuing our next game we have we had Penn State going to Wisconsin Penn State's defense showed up in this game they were able to get two turnovers from Grand Mertz the quarterback for Wisconsin two interceptions that he threw and Penn State was able to go into Wisconsin and win Sean Clifford not a crazy stat line but 247 yards and a touchdown mm-hmm Excuse me, he didn't do anything to lose them this game. Uh, Kane, the running back for Penn State, a touchdown, 48 yards. And then Dotson, one of the more underrated wide receivers in the Big Ten, I believe. I know Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Fry Vogel, uh, Bell from Purdue, a lot of guys, Ronnie Bell as well from Michigan. Those guys get a lot of the press, but Dotson uh, for Penn State is one of the better receivers. Um, he had 102 yards and a touchdown. Again, the story of this game was Penn State's defense when they needed big stops and everything like that to win this game. Penn State's defense was able to do that for them. As I mentioned previously when I was talking about the Clemson-Georgia game, uh, on Friday night, North Carolina, 10th in the country, goes to Virginia Tech and lays an egg. Only 10 points. Virginia Tech, 17. Virginia Tech wins that one. Uh, you look at Sam Howe, who a lot of people maybe – thought of as a sleeper Heisman candidate, uh, a top five, top ten pick or so in the NFL draft, depending on teams' needs, everything like that. He goes out 208 yards of touchdowns and three interceptions. It looked like North Carolina was struggling to replace some talent that they lost last year. And Howell has been extremely good against Virginia Tech in his career, but uh, I think coupled with the first road game, home game of the year for Virginia Tech, um, first road game, excuse me, for North Carolina, and that raucous environment, replacing all those guys that he had to, that Mac Brown had to replace this year on offense and on defense, both sides of the ball, um, and the great defense that Virginia Tech played really spelled the end for North Carolina in this one. North Carolina can still have a good year. I mean, they have Virginia coming down the pipes, Georgia Tech, Duke. Then they have to play Florida State and then Miami, Notre Dame. So the middle of their schedule gets tough, but if they can figure some things out on offense and how can cut down on the servers, they can still have a good year and be productive in the ACC. So there's no reason to write totally right off North Carolina, but a bit concerning. 
looking at Oregon and Fresno State, just a small blip about that. The uh, defensive end for Oregon, he high high ankle sprain, I believe, that is day-to-day, could be out for the Ohio State game that I'll be talking about a little bit later on in week two. Uh, Fresno State was able to hang with them with Oregon. 24-31 was the final. Brown, the quarterback for Oregon, 172 yards and a touchdown, but he was very versatile on the ground as well, using his feet to set up big plays and extend plays. So it it's nice to see Oregon maybe has that quarterback question answered. They came into the year a little unsure of what they had there, but it looks like they have found the guy for that position. Uh, another game I do want to mention, Montana beats Washington 13-7. Washington now goes to Michigan, and that game is – just something I could not care less about. Um, UCLA beats LSU at UCLA. I mentioned it to. I mentioned it on the last episode about Dorian Thompson Robinson and Chip Kelly and this UCLA team maybe making some noise in the Pac-12. And it seems like right now they're making noise on the national stage. Uh, DTR. 260, 260 yards passing, three touchdowns, did their one interception. Uh, the rushing game for UCLA was also very prominent. Um, They're running back 11 carries, 117 yards, and a touchdown. It was exciting to see. It's nice to see that a prediction is sort of coming right and everything. If we continue to look at UCLA's schedule, what they have coming down the line for them. Uh, the Fresno State, another tough game they have next week. And then Stanford, who looks a bit lost. And then they welcome Arizona State. If they can somehow find themselves sitting at 5-0 and after that, they will probably be a top 15 team and one of the hottest teams in the country. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson, uh, as a sleeper Heisman pick that I gave out a couple weeks ago, he's probably going to have to play extremely well in those games for them to win. So that Heisman thing, Heisman buzz can maybe build a little bit for him. Uh, the last game that I want to talk about is the Ohio State-Minnesota game before I get on to looking ahead to Week 2. Uh, this is going to be a little bit deeper just because uh, this was one of the games that I watched uh, first snap to last snap. Ohio State coming out with C.J. Stroud. He struggles in the first half. The offense at times looks lost in the first half just because Ohio State was trying to filter through some players, get some guys, some reps at running back that, I mean, mine Williams, Trevon Henderson, and Master Teague all got carries in the first half, and it was very clear that Mine Williams and Trayvon Henderson were the two more explosive backs. Teague didn't do anything wrong when he was in there. It just showed that, hey, these other two guys are definitely the best two backs that they have. And then the defense for Ohio State, there was a lot of questions surrounding, will that be improved in Kerry Combs' year two as the defensive coordinator? There were spots where it looked improved, and there were spots where it didn't. Um, there's still questions in the back half with the secondary, uh, Cam, excuse me, Cameron Brown and Seven Banks were not available for Ohio State, and they were slotted to be the two starting corners. So you had Watts and Denzel Burke. Denzel Burke, the true freshman, getting the start. Again, they did some good things, and they also did some bad things. Uh, you look at the linebacker play. I thought Mitchell, number three, played extremely well for them. Cody Simon, number 30, when he got in there, he played extremely well. I didn't hate what Eichenberg was doing, but still a little eh. Dallas Gant, he was flying around the field. The front four with uh, the defensive line, 
They got some pressure. Zach Harrison made a big strip sack play that turned into a touchdown that really turned the momentum for Ohio State in the second half. That was needed. Would like to have seen a little bit more pressure at times from the defensive line, but hopefully that can continue to come and develop and have a more of a presence. With that being said, Ohio State does end up winning. Um, Ibrahim for Minnesota was able to gash them for 163 yards and two touchdowns on 30 carries on the ground, but he does unfortunately have a lower leg injury that is going to sideline him for the entire year. You absolutely hate to hear that because he was a perennial All-Big Ten team, was getting some All-American hype as well for the season starter. Hopefully this doesn't affect his draft stock too much because he can be playing in the NFL on Sundays um, next year and be a very productive player. But, again, I think the bigger story in this one, Ohio State comes out and three of their touchdowns in the second half, they took like two minutes and six plays. Um, The big playability is there. It's going to be interesting to see if Stroud, what he looks like in the red zone maybe, and if they have to go and say have a 10-play, 12-play, 15-yard play drive to milk some clock and put points on the board, how that is going to go. Cedar Shroud was able to settle down in the second half and execute some throws that they weren't the toughest of throws, I will say that, but they were throws that he needed to make and he was able to make them to put points on the board. It'll be interesting to see how he continues to grow and how that offense continues to grow. And hopefully... When everyone's back healthy for both sides of the ball for Ohio State, what that team can look like when the best guys are just playing the most reps rather than trying to rotate guys in and out, in and out, in and out to figure out who you have and get these young guys reps. Looking ahead to week two, we look and there's not a ton of good matchups as there were last week. Uh, The big one, though, Iowa and Iowa State, both of them coming off victories. Iowa State a little less impressive. Brock Purdy for them, who has been there a while and you thought might put up some better numbers in his first game against Northern Iowa, but only 199 yards on on 21 of 26 stat line. So he was accurate, just not uh, for a lot of yards and no touchdowns. Brees Hall, 69 yards and a touchdown. Uh, for Iowa, though, uh, Petrus, quarterback, only 145 yards, but Goodson on the ground, 99 yards and a touchdown. I'm actually going to go with Iowa in this one to upset Iowa State. I think Iowa going against Indiana, who had a a lot of buzz this year to maybe be a contender in the Big Ten East, uh, Iowa was able to really impose their will on them in that last game and get the victory 34-6. to I think Iowa looked better than Iowa State did in the first weekend. Maybe um, that changes in Week 2, but I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes to pull the minor upset, I guess if you want to call it, uh, in this game since the game is at Iowa State. Again, as I mentioned, you look down the line, there aren't as many good games this first week. A game that catches my eye that I think will be good is Appalachian State and Miami. Um, It'll be interesting to see how Miami's defense is able to slow down the run game of Appalachian State. Uh, That could be a low-scoring affair at times just because of the style that Appalachian State likes to do, like to have long drives, possess the ball, run the ball, and punctuate those long drives with touchdowns. So it'll be interesting to see if Miami can rebound from the loss last week against Alabama where they could, their defense really couldn't stop anything, but it was mostly through the air that they had trouble. Um, now they face a team that 
is a lot more focused on the run. It'll be interesting to see that. That's a game I'm keeping an eye on. Um, I, I do need to probably talk about the hometown teams a little bit. Um, so Eastern Kentucky going to Louisville. Louisville's going to need a rebound from their first week game against Ole Miss that wrapped up last night. Uh, Louisville looked bad. As nice as I can say it, they look bad in the first game. Uh, Ole Miss beating them 43-24. Louisville shut out in the first half. It was, I guess if you want to be positive as a Louisville fan, it was nice to see that your team didn't quit. Uh, They go out and they put 24 points up in the second half. Uh, Malik Cunningham, 191 yards, a touchdown, um, and an interception. He led the team in rushing as well, 79 yards and two touchdowns. At one point, Cunningham was the leading receiver, rusher, and passer for Louisville. That's not a great recipe for success when your quarterback is leading your team in all three of those. Um, on the other side of the ball, Ole Miss looked good offensively. We knew they would. The defense looked good, but we don't know if that is – just because of the ineptitude at times of Louisville's offense, or if the defense under Durkin is improved, like gen- generally just improved, or if that was because of just how bad Louisville was. But should be a rebound game for Louisville against Eastern Kentucky. They should win before they welcome a tough UCF team in week three. And then the Cats for UK, uh, the Will Levis era has begun. It is. Nice to see a quarterback completing multiple 30, 40, 50-yard passes at a time down the field for the Cats. Hasn't Have not seen that in a while. Um, they beat Louisiana Monroe week one very comfortably. Week two, they have a bit of a tougher test with Mizzou coming to town. Uh, Levis, though, as I mentioned, 367 yards and four touchdowns. In that first game, Chris Rodriguez on the ground, 125 yards and a touchdown. And Josh Ali, five receptions, 136 yards and a touchdown. I expect Kentucky to win this game. And it will be a much tougher test than what they had last week. The Cats are given five points, so Vegas likes the Cats as well. I'm going to roll with Kentucky over Missouri in this one. Uh, continuing down the line, again, a bit of a slower week. But that's okay. Um, we have Texas and Arkansas. Both these teams want to know. I'm going to say Texas wins this, but it's going to be a close, good game, I believe. I think Arkansas's defense is going to be able to slow down what Texas is trying to do and hang with them for a little bit. But ultimately, I do think that Texas just has a few bit more playmakers that are going to be able to when it's caught upon in the big moments, make those big plays. So I'm going to go with Texas over Arkansas in that one. Moving down the list, geez, Sanford and USC. I expect USC to win that. Really, Washington, Michigan. Michigan's only a six-and-a-half-point favorite there. Again, they lose Ronnie Bell, one of their – Good wide receivers. Uh, Michigan's quarterback, McNamara, was good for them. 136 yards and two touchdowns. Um, He was one of the highest, I believe, like according to PFF, Pro Football Focus, one of the highest rated quarterbacks from week one. So that'll be interesting to see. I just find it hard to believe that if a team like Washington struggles against Montana and they lose, if they have to go to the big house, 
a primetime game at night. Um, I just I can't believe I'm saying this. I find it hard to believe that Michigan isn't going to win this game uh, comfortably. And then for me, the biggest game of the weekend um, in college football for week two was Oregon and Ohio State. Ohio State opens up as a 14-point favorite. It's, again, a lot of the things that I mentioned talking about the Minnesota game, there's still some question marks around C.J. Stroud. How is he going to do? He had a terrible first half, but the second half he came alive. And then that defense for Ohio State, how are their linebackers and that front seven with the defensive line involved going to be able to get pressure and contain the mobility of Brown, the quarterback for Oregon? If they can do that, If they can take away his playmaking abilities with his legs, I feel pretty comfortable in an Ohio State at least a 10-point victory. And especially if Thibodeau, the defensive end for Oregon, isn't playing. They still have Justin Lowe, a very talented linebacker who is a tackling machine. But I just feel a lot better about Ohio State in this game than I do Oregon. Um... I expect we heard. I've seen comments from Ryan Day saying he's going to short sort of um, mitigate and trim the running back rotation. So I expect to see more of Henderson and Williams, and unfortunately that means less of uh, Teague. I'm a big Master Teague fan, but I understand that right now those two guys, Williams and Henderson, are better running backs, and that's okay. It'll be interesting to see if. Seven Banks and Cameron Brown, the two perceived starters at cornerback, if they're going to be healthy, if Josh Proctor, the talented safety for Ohio State, who got banged up late in the game against Minnesota, if they're going to be healthy. If those all three of those guys are out, then I'm a I'm pretty concerned for what the secondary is going to look like for Ohio State. There's talent there, but it's inexperienced talent. And I understand the only way to get experience and get every get knowledge and all that is through reps but you would sort of hope it's against a lesser inferior opponent than a top 12 team like Oregon but I think the game being in Columbus this is going to be the first game in like two year and a half two years in Columbus with full fans um it's a noon game I fucking hate that but it's it's what it is because big noon fox or whatever the hell their show is called that's what it is but the game beating Columbus, and I think the running game for Ohio State what is what's going to propel them to a victory in this one over Oregon. I don't know if they cover that 14-point spread. That Well, now it's bet up to 14.5 that I'm looking at. I don't know if they cover that, but I feel comfortable saying Ohio State wins by at least 7 to 10 points, um, just given what that team has, and the offensive firepower. If that defense can just be okay um, in this game, Ohio State wins comfortably. That is going to do it for the college football portion of this week's sack. We can now get into the NFL. The first game of the NFL season, Thursday, September 9th, we have the reigning defending Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, going up against the Dallas Cowboys. The Buccaneers are eight-point favorites in this one. I think ultimately the Buccaneers do win this game, but I think the Cowboys are due for a rebound year. Last year, obviously, you lose Dak Prescott. The offensive line was very... It was bad, but 
The offensive line gets some players back this year. You get a healthy Dak Prescott back this year. The defense was dog shit last year for the Cowboys, but that was a priority for Jerry Jones and this team in the offseason. They addressed it through the draft. They sort of addressed it through free agency. Ezekiel Elliott has been said to be in the best shape that he's been in since coming into the league, and he was a rushing title winner for two or three years in a row, and he wasn't even in this good of shape. You look at the other offensive weapons that you have there for Dak and the Cowboys. Obviously, I mentioned Zeke, but the wide receiving core with Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, who a lot of people are predicting have a big jump neck this year, and Michael Gallup. Uh, just talent all around on the offensive side of the ball for the Cowboys. So I don't think last year is going to be what is going to happen this year for the Cowboys. I do think they have a very decent year. But I think the first game back in Tampa with the Buccaneers returning to all 22 starters for from their Super Bowl team, um, I think it's a lot to ask. There were reports that the offense looked a little sloppy for the Buccaneers in the offseason, but we saw how that uh, was able to come together, the offense for the Buccaneers, down the stretch in the playoffs for them and in the Super Bowl and how well that defense stepped up and played. If that defense can come out and be as dominant and physical as it was, maybe obviously not to the same level as it was in Super Bowl because you play harder, it's Super Bowl, you want to win, last game of the year, all this, blah, blah, blah. But if they can show the tendencies that they did last year and that defense can continue to improve and you bring back all 22 starters, then the Buccaneers are poised again for another good year and to find themselves in the playoffs. But I will go with the Buccaneers over the Cowboys uh, in week one. The next game we can talk about is the Steelers at the Bills. The Bills coming off a loss in the AFC Championship game. The Steelers coming off that hot start they had to the year. I believe it was 11-0 before they dropped uh, four of the last five or something like that. And then they have the first round exit against the Browns. I, uh, I'm concerned for the Steelers. I know that defense is going to be fine. I know the ground game is going to be fine. And I know they have the skill positions at wide receiver to be good. Big Ben concerns me. Uh, I He started showing his age a few years ago. Last year was no different. And it again, he this offseason, he dedicated himself to losing weight and getting in good shape and everything like that, which I, took you long enough, sort of. But I applaud him doing that. But this team is going to need to take a massive leap forward uh, at the quarterback position t- for that team to go anywhere than what it did last year. I... I just can't count on Ben Roethlisberger to find the fountain of youth at this point of his career and do that. Looking at the Bills, uh, Josh Allen, best year he's had in the NFL last year under Dable, who is back as offensive coordinator, who a lot of people had pegged as maybe taking a head coaching job in the offseason when all those were opening up, but he chose to stay in Buffalo. Um, The defense, solid for them last year. Josh Allen and the receivers, very good for them last year. The run game, non-existent for them last year, which is a bit uh, concerning because you need to have a run game to win in the playoffs and win Super Bowls. That's been proven time and time again. Uh, they upgrade their defense a little bit this offseason. If their defense can play as good as they did last year and Josh Allen can, again, just play as good as he did last year, I know that's asking a lot because he had – one of the better seasons at quarterback last year, but say he does that and 
then there's the possibility that he improves and he gets better with Stephon Diggs there at wide receiver, who they bring him over last year from the Vikings, and that move paid out wonderfully. Diggs had one of his better years in his career. Uh, But if everything for this team just stays the same, which I could see that happening, they still win the East, they still make the playoffs, but I don't think this team makes a jump uh, to vault themselves into AFC champions or playoff in the playoffs or a Super Bowl team, unfortunately. But in this game, I will take the Bills over the Steelers. Um, I just think that there's too much firepower for the Bills, and the Bills' defense was able to pick off Ben Roethlisberger a few times last year in their game that they had in Buffalo, so I will take... Buffalo over the Steelers. Next game, we have the Browns and the Chiefs. Uh, The Browns, last year, they addressed the offense, and they had a great rushing attack with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Baker Mayfield had his best year as a NFL starter. Jarvis Landry was solid. Odell Beckham was good through seven games before tearing his ACL. Donovan Peoples-Jones, the rookie last year, had a good rookie year. Rashad Higgins, as the three or four receiver, did everything you could ask for him, but the defense was just god awful for the Browns last year. So, what does Andrew Barry and that team do? They address it in the offseason. They bring in Jadavian Clowney, they bring in Tack McKinnon, they bring in two um, secondary pieces from the Rams who had one of the better passing defenses in the NFL. They bring in Greg Newsome, cornerback from Northwestern. They bring in JOK, a gadget do-it-all linebacker from Notre Dame who I'm excited to see. If this defense improves and that offense even just stays baseline the same, this team goes from a 10-win team to, I think, an 11- or 12-win team. Uh, again, Baker Mayfield, There's people still like to question him, but I think he is the perfect quarterback for the system that's the Fansky is trying to run for them. The big question mark for the Browns is going to be how can they manage expectations? We saw two years ago with Freddie Kitchens at the helm and all the possibilities that they said they were going to have, um, how that season turned out. It was terrible. But I think with Stefanski and the expectations this year, they're going to be managed a little bit better. And I think the Browns have a chance to have an extremely special year. On the other side of the ball, the Chiefs coming off, getting blown out, embarrassed in the Super Bowl. They retool their entire offensive line. They lose Sammy Watkins, but besides that, this team is basically the same. And there's no reason for me to believe they're not going to win their division and honestly be right there. I, I'm fairly confident just penciling them in to the AFC Championship game. I have no qualms about doing that. I think on... About 9 out of 10 or 8 out of 10 days, um, they beat anybody in the NFL and they beat anybody in the AFC uh, to go to the Super Bowl. So I expect another big year and I think maybe a bit of a revenge tour-esque, if you want to say that, from Patrick Mahomes, um, who didn't have a bad year all last year. But I think Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and the rest of that team they still taste that defeat that they had in the Super Bowl, and they kind of probably want to come out and just sound and say, hey, we're still really fucking good. Um, we obviously didn't play our best that game, and our offense, offensive line wasn't built to deal with this type of pressure and everything, but you'll come to learn we've retooled, um, and we're going to be better. If Clyde Edwards-Alaire can 
improve on last year and take a bit of a jump and add a running a consistent running game to this team in year two um then that offense gets even scarier and I think he is poised Edwards Alaris to do something like that he might not have like 1500 yards and 12 touchdowns or anything like that but he can be a consistent threat on the ground with his legs that I'm pretty confident that this Chiefs team uh could find itself right back in the Super Bowl uh, continuing down the line, uh, we have the Eagles and the Falcons. I am so sick and tired of Jalen Hurts, this controversy around Jalen Hurts. He is your starting quarterback. Whether you, It blows my mind that so many people, the new head coach for them, just cannot come out and say that, oh, he's the starter. They trade for Gardner Minshew late in the offseason, right before the season starts. Minshew's good. I have no problem with that. But Jalen Hurts, I think, brings so many more intangibles to your team and to your offense. And he's a winner. He's a winner everywhere he's been. And he's a high-character guy. Nothing points to him not being a high-character guy. Um, He, all season last year, there was flirting with putting him in over Carson Wentz, who struggled, who is now in Indianapolis. But... You've put him in. He goes one and three, I believe. But that offense looked better with him under center than what it did with Carson Wentz. I don't think you can deny that. I think a full regular year of off season and camp and OTAs and everything like that is going to do him extremely well. That offensive line is still questionable, so he's going to be running around scrambling for his life. There might not be a solid consistent run game to be able to help the passing game but there's weapons at wide receiver and tight end with Goddard and Ertz and Rager and Devontae Smith that I think you just put Jalen Hurts out there and if you want to say give him eight to ten games and just go out there and see what happens fine but he is I think he is your best chance to win in the NFL with him at quarterback and I think the hesitancy to do that and pull the trigger and say no this is our starting quarterback we're all behind him we give him our full support is fucking absurd um and i don't understand why and this is obviously me as a third party viewer um maybe there's stuff behind the scenes that i just don't know about that we just don't know about but i just cannot fathom a a any a game a system anything where jalen hurts cannot succeed in the NFL with the, some of the talent that is around him. And if you're going to tell me Gardner Minshew is going to come in there and give you a better chance to win right off the bat, I just fundamentally disagree with that. Gardner Minshew is a good quarterback, an accurate quarterback. We saw that. but And can he win games in the NFL? Occasionally, yes. We saw that his rookie year. But I just don't think he's better than Jalen Hurts. Um, back to the point, on the other side of the ball, the Falcons they lose Julio Jones. They don't really have a established running game right now. They have Mike Davis, who filling in for Christian McCaffrey last year, did well. He's getting up there in age. Matt Ryan getting up there in age. He loses, obviously, his number one target in Julio Jones. But they still have Calvin Ridley, a young, talented wide receiver. Uh, Gage as well. Step, it's going to have to step up. It'll be interesting to see how Kyle Pitts, normally tight ends sort of struggle their first year um, adjusting the league, but Kyle Pitts I don't think is like a regular tight end. I think he'll have a very solid 
contributing rookie year for the Falcons, but I don't see the Falcons doing anything special this year. I am going to actually go at the Eagles to beat the Falcons in this one. The next game on the schedule I'm going to look at is the Vikings and the Bengals. For this Vikings team, there's still questions on the defensive side of the ball. There's still the Kirk Cousin question. Can he win you big games in the NFL? It still remains up in the air at this point in the, in his career. It's no. Um, that offense is going to rely heavily on Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen. I'm... I'm seeing basically a copy and paste year for the Vikings. They'll be competitive in a lot of games, and there'll be games where they pop and put up a bunch of points, but I just don't see them making a lot of noise in the NFC. On the other side of the field with the Bengals, Joe Burrow, year two, coming off the ACL injury. The Bengals sort of address the offensive line needs. They take Jamar Chase in round one in the top five, I believe, of the NFL draft when Panay Sewell was there. That remains to be seen how it's going to turn out. Um, Jamar Chase has looked okay in the preseason, and okay is being generous. Um, there are growing pains occasionally. Uh, I think it's you're, you're going to hold Jamar Chase as the number one receiver taken off the board to the standards that a Justin Jefferson, a DK Metcalf, those guys that they've had success early on in their careers – at the receiver position, you're going to hold him to that standard, but I think it's a little bit different. Um, this offensive line isn't as good, um, so less time for Burrow to throw. And there's other pieces around Je- Jamar Chase than there were in Minnesota for Justin Jefferson and Seattle for DK Metcalf. Um This offense for the Bengals has potential to be exciting and a reason to watch. Um, The defense was retooled a little bit. They bring in Henderson, uh, the defensive end from the Saints in this offseason. They retooled their secondary a little bit, bringing in Von Bell and things like that. This team should be competitive and definitely better than last year, but I still don't think I see them making a ton of noise in the AFC. I will actually go with the Vikings to beat the Bengals in this one. The next game, the 49ers and the Lions. I'm going to take the 49ers. I'm high on the 49ers this year. They get a lot of talent back um, after the COVID year last year with people opting out and injuries. If Kittle and Bosa can come back and be healthy and you have Bourne there at linebacker, and if Jimmy Garoppolo can just be okay, this team can be in a lot of games. And if he's not, then you have Trey Lance who can step in. And through the preseason, Trey Lance looked good. He did have some rookie mistakes in some games, but that's going to happen. But I think if there's a point where Garoppolo is struggling or not winning you games, we've seen in the past Shanahan is not afraid to pull and rotate guys and put other guys in a quarterback that he thinks is going to give his team the better chance to win. And I think there's a bit more explosiveness with Trey Lance that that offense can unlock with different running schemes and the different ways they get so many guys involved like Ayuk and Samuel and then the run game with Mostert and Sermon and Gallman and so many other guys and the different creative ways Shanahan gets guys the ball and then you add Trey Lance who is mobile and has a better arm probably than Garoppolo and up to this point that still remains to be seen I understand that but a bit more exciting, explosive offense probably with Lance there. Um, if at some point that change does happen, I think the 49ers um, 
have a chance to be a really exciting and tough team to beat this year. So I'm pegging them. Again, I'm high on them this year. I am going to take the 49ers over the Lions. And I think this year the Lions are going to be better than people expect. I saw their win total was at like four and a half or five and a half. I would go. I think they can definitely win at least five or six games. I think Dan Campbell is a coach that a lot of players want to play for. There's not a ton of talent on this Lions team. Um, I know the skill positions, the wide receivers are questionable. The running game should be decent. Jared Goff is a serviceable quarterback. That defense will probably play extremely hard. Um, It'll be interesting to see how Jeff Okuda, uh, the high rookie pick from Ohio State last year, had a good year as a rookie. It'll be interesting to see if he can take another step to becoming that lockdown corner that they hoped he would be when they drafted him. But, again, I think the Lions have a respectable year given their win total, but I don't see them beating the 49ers. The next game, the Cardinals and the Titans, and I think both of these teams are sort of – they're kind of just the exact same. They're mere. Neither team's defense is exceptional. They're both okay. The Titans had a very bad defense last year when it came to the run. The Cardinals, Buda Baker, they bring in J.J. Watt as well to help address that defensive need. Uh, the run game for the Cardinals... Concerns me with Chase Edmonds and James Conner. Nothing is really jumping off the page there for me. But the wide receiver position is is what is. I mean, you have DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best wide receivers, and then Chris Kirk, Rondell Moore, AJ Green. Maybe he has a bit of a resurgence this year um, in that Cliff Kingsbury system. It it's sort of getting to the point now where if they don't make the playoffs. I don't think you move on from Kyler Murray, but I could see them moving on from Cliff Kingsbury, um, or at least his seat being the hottest in the NFL after this year if they don't end up making the playoffs this year. Uh, For the Titans... Ryan Tannehill coming off a good year. Derrick Henry coming off being the rushing leader once again. They bring in Julio Jones to pair with A.J. Brown. That offense is going to be very good. The defense is the question for them. Uh, they, They bring in Bud Dupree to help fortify the defensive line. But besides that, they didn't address a ton of needs on the defensive side of the ball. They draft fairly from Virginia Tech, who he had a great college career, but injury prone. Had some questions coming out of the draft, what his injury status and health status was, but he seems to be, uh, excuse me, he seems to be a piece that they're excited about. I'm going to take the Titans to win this one in a close game, and it, both of these teams, as I said, I think m- sort of mere images of each other, where the offense, that's taken care of, that's sound. Nobody has questions about that. Uh, For two different reasons, obviously, the strengths of those offenses are extremely different. But the defense, how are those two defenses going to be this year? And if if that can be figured out and improved upon from last year, then both of these teams have a chance to factor into the playoff picture throughout this entire year. In the next game, we have the Seahawks and the Colts. The Seahawks coming off a good year where they make the playoffs. The Colts bringing Carson Wentz over in the offseason to replace Philip Rivers, who retires. Um, Jonathan Taylor for the Colts, a great rookie year. Interesting to see what he can do to follow up that great rookie year. The Colts, one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. How are they going to 
to be able to, with Quentin Nelson and that foot problem that he had, um, Carson Wentz had sort of a same foot problem. He's already back practicing, and I believe he's going to actually get the start for the Colts if I'm, my sources are correct. Uh, that defense for the Colts with Leonard there, linebacker, is one of the better in the NFL. Uh, this team, I think, is going to want to ground and pound and wear you out and then have Wentz use the play action and be formidable. There's a lot of talent at the receiver position for Wentz to divvy out the ball to. T.Y. Hilton, he just got put on the pup or IR or something like that where he's going to miss at least the five or, first five or six games of the year. But Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, um, a couple other guys there that Naheem Hines catching the ball out of the backfield that Wentz can check down and use as a safety valve. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic about the Colts this year. For the Seahawks, Russell Wilson last year starts out hot, has Russ let cook, all this MVP talk for him, and then they sort of fizzle in the middle and late parts of the year. It'll be interesting to see with the new offensive coordinator and the sort of turmoil made up um, storylines that were around Seattle this year about Russ demanding a trade and all this other things, how that offense is going to look. That defense should be pretty good, as it has been the last couple years. But um, the offense with Chris Carson, Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, there's a plethora of guys there that are playmakers. It's just calling the right plays at the right time and getting protection for Russ Wilson that I think – that if all that can happen, then I think the Seahawks factor into potential NFC Championship talk and Super Bowl contender talk if all that is taken care of. In this game, I am going to go with the Seahawks over the Colts. Um, I just think Carson Wentz might have some growing pains and obviously coming and dealing with the foot injuries still. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he is able to play in this. So I'm going to take the Seahawks over the Colts. Moving on, the next game we look at are the Chargers from Los Angeles going to Washington to play the Washington football team. The Washington football team addressed their biggest need in this offseason, bringing in Ryan Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins. The Chargers firing Anthony Lynn, bringing in a new head coach. It's going to be interesting to see how the Chargers offense continues to grow with Herbert in his second year. They get Eckler back off of injury from last year they still have Keenan Allen a talented uh wide receiving core with him the defense for the Chargers looks to be improved with Derwin James coming back and Bosa still there on the defensive line for them watching one of the better defenses last year the offense for them last year was what held them back but you bring in Fitzpatrick to pair with Terry McLaurin to bring in Curtis Samuel you have Gibson there a talented running back in his second year J.D. McKissick as well an emerging tight end and Logan Thomas there's a lot to be excited if you're a Washington football team fan um overall for this game I am going to go with Washington over the Chargers I just think that Fitzpatrick gives this team a better chance to be competitive in high scoring games than what they were last year and that defense only got better they bring in Jamin Davis through the draft to pair with Chase Young to pair with Montez Sweat and the rest of that front four uh there's this defense I think is going to be again one of the best in the NFL and if that offense with Fitzpatrick can go and put up say 24 points a game I think they're going to be in a lot of games this year I'm going to go with the football team over the Chargers in this one the next game I 
do not care about either of these teams this year. Uh, the Jets and the Panthers, a revenge game of some sorts for Sam Darnold. I will go with the Panthers over the Jets. Um, that is actually one of my sack picks this week. The Panthers minus five and a half. Um, I just think Darnold and that offense for the Panthers is going to be much better than what the Jets are going to have to stop. And I think Zach Wilson, there's going to be some growing pains for him in the NFL. And the Panthers' defense isn't spectacular or anything like that, but I think they're going to be good enough to get pressure on Wilson and force him into maybe some rookie mistakes in his first NFL start that lead to the Panthers getting the win over the Jets. Moving on again, uh, this next game, again, two teams I really – have no care for this year. The Jaguars and the Texans both are set up to be pretty bad. It hurts me to say this, but I think Urban Meyer is in over his head a little bit as a head coach in the NFL. Um, Trevor Lawrence there, Travis Etienne out for the year already. It's It'll be interesting to see how Trevor Lawrence does because there is talent around him at the receiver position with LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones coming over from Detroit. DJ Shark, who had a good year last year, but again... Striking this, I think the defense for the Jaguars is bad, and I think that Urban is in over his head a little bit too much as an NFL coach. And then the Texans dealing with their own problems with Deshaun Watson and what what is their plan for him? Obviously, I know it's not their decision what happens with the 22, I believe, civil lawsuits and everything like that, but... Uh, if you look at mock drafts for next year, they have them being a top five pick and taking a quarterback and just pretty much hitting reset on this entire team and organization. So it both of these teams, I think, are in for a long, tough year. The next game, we have the Dolphins and the Patriots. The big question for both of these teams, uh, how is their quarterback going to play this entire year? Both of these teams, I think, are good enough to make the playoffs, but if their quarterbacks don't step up, Mac Jones with the Patriots getting the start, Name the starter over Cam Newton. The Patriots releasing Cam Newton in a bit of a surprising move. And then Tua. Uh, he comes in. He wins you games last year, but it looked ugly. It wasn't good. There were times when he struggled, and they pulled out Ryan Fitzpatrick to come in and win the game. But ultimately, Tua gets the win because it was he was the starter, things like that. The defense for the Dolphins last year was very good, led the NFL in takeaways. The defense for the Patriots last year, questionable at times, but they had a lot of COVID opt-outs. They addressed some needs with Matthew Judon and a few other positions on that front seven in the offseason. You get Stephon Gilmore back, who opted out last year in a contract year. There's still questions about that. The offense for the Patriots is Eh, it still obviously remain to be unseen what Mac Jones is going to offer you, but there is a good line there. Um, the running back situation with Damian Harris, James White, and the rookie Stevenson, I believe, from Oklahoma. There's talent there at running back. The wide receiver position is, I think, still questionable. I mean, you have Jacoby Myers, who with Cam Newton was that team's leading receiver and was decent they bring in Nelson Aguilar Kendrick Bourne there's talent there it's going to be up to Mac Jones and Josh McDaniels on drawing up plays and getting plays that are comfortable and good for Mac Jones to distribute that ball to them uh, again on the other side for Miami Tua you have talent there around him they draft Jalen Waddell they bring in Malcolm Brown Miles Gaskin at running back Devontae Parker's there Grant the wide receiver is also there Mike Kosicki at the tight end I forgot to mention, but the Patriots bring in two talented tight ends at Hunter Henry and John U. Smith. Um, 
hearkening back to the Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski days with the two tight ends. Uh, both teams have a ton of talent, and it's going to come down to how these quarterbacks play and everything. In this game, New England's favored by three. I'm actually going to take the Dolphins in this one. But I think both of these teams are going to be factors in the AFC East and in the wild card race all year long. Next, we have the Packers and the Saints. I am so fucking sick and tired of hearing about Aaron Rodgers. I'm so glad that that got put to rest when it did. I could not take another get-up morning segment about, oh, Aaron Rodgers is requesting a trade, or he's not going to show up, or he's going to hold out. I could not give two shits. The Packers are going to be good again. They will probably win the NFC North again. Will they win a Super Bowl? No, they will not, because there is no... Secondary weapon for Aaron Rodgers after Devontae Adams. Obviously, Aaron Jones there is a great running back. They re-signed him. Happy for him. That defense with Jerry Alexander, uh, Zadarius Smith, they're able to get pressure on the quarterback and be good. This team's good, but they have not improved at all from two years ago when they lost to the 49ers. They have not improved from last year, from when they lost to the Buccaneers in the NFC Championship game. It's... It's, if I was Aaron Rodgers, I 100% understand the frustration. This team is not getting better, and they just keep rolling them out there and saying, okay, well, Aaron Rodgers is still good. He'll go win us games, but the team's not getting better. So that's the Packers talk. Saints talk. You have to replace one of the best quarterbacks all time with Drew Brees. You bring in Jameis Winston. Your number one receiver, Mike Thomas, is out for a considerable amount of time with an ankle injury that – questionable decision-making by him that he waited until June to get this done when he could have gotten it done late uh, in earlier in the offseason and it wouldn't have affected this timeline for the NFL season. Kamara still there running back. The defense, I think, is going to take a step back. Um, they lost some pieces. Uh, Cameron Jordan is still there. He's still one of the best at getting after the quarterback, but I think as a whole that defense does regress a little bit. Uh, the wide receiving position with Mike Thomas, Marcus Callaway, it – it's going to be interesting to see. They named Jameis Winston the starter. Jameis Winston, the last time he was a full-time starter, puts up 30 touchdowns but also 30 interceptions. I think with Sean Payton and and his play calling and his ability to um, orchestrate an offense and dictate what that offense is going to do, I think they learn, they lean on Kamara and Latavius Murray a little bit to start the season, ease in Jameis Winston, and say, hey, we don't really need you to go win these games, but you can't fuck up and lose us these games, I think is more what's going to be the case until Mike Thomas and the rest of that offense gets back to full health and full strength. But uh, I think the Saints definitely take a step back this year in the grand scheme of things in the NFC. This is also one of my sack picks. I'm going with the Packers minus four in this one to cover. Uh, we got three games left. I'm going to try and do this a little bit faster. The Broncos and the Giants, I don't think either of these teams really are going to factor into uh, the AFC or the NFC playoff race. I think the Giants, Daniel Jones, I think it is about time for him to for his seat to get a little bit hot they've invested some money for some offensive weapons with Galladay coming over Barkley if he can stay healthy there's really no excuses anymore for Daniel Jones to have a mediocre or okay year he needs to go out and prove that he was worth a top 10 pick and that they got that right 
uh, for the Broncos. They bring in Teddy Bridgewater. They name him the starter. I think the Broncos are going to be okay. They will be a tough game, a tough victory to win, a tough team to beat. Uh, That defense is improving. They bring in uh, Patrick Sertan through the draft. They already had Simmons, one of the better safeties in the league. Uh, the front seven with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb is going to be good. The run game is always good. They bring in Javante Williams from North Carolina. The receiving core, very good. Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler. There's talent there. Teddy is going to be a good distributor. This team is going to be a hard team to beat, but I just don't think they're going to end up winning enough games to factor into playoff contention. Um, in this one, I will go with the Broncos over the Giants, though. The Bears and the Rams... The Bears, really, the only storyline I'm following with them, when does Justin Fields take the field for them? I don't think their season really officially starts until he does that. The defense is still going to be good, and if the Bears can sneak into the playoffs with Mitch Trubisky last year on the back of that defense, imagine what the team can do with a actually NFL-qualified quarterback with Andy Dalton, who... He was okay for Dallas last year. I think he can win some games for them, but I really think this season gets underway for the Bears whenever Justin Fields starts. Whenever that is, I have no clue. The Rams, they bring in Matthew Stafford to pair with the great defense they had last year with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. They lose some secondary pieces. That'll be interesting to see if... There's some talent there to replace them. They have Fuller, the second-year player out of Ohio State, who got named a captain to replace John Johnson and a couple other guys they lost through free agency in the secondary position. They lose Cam Akers, who I thought was poised to have a breakout year at the running back position. They bring in Sonny Michelle with a trade from the Patriots to pair with Daryl Henderson. Sean McVay brings in Matthew Stafford, gets rid of Jared Goff as well. Um, I think Matthew Stafford is in for a big year. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, uh, Tyler Higby as well. I think this team with the Rams factors in to the NFC West race and the NFC Championship race as well, if all of that works out. In this game, obviously, I'm going to take the Rams over the Bears. And then my last sack pick of the week I'm going to go with the Ravens, minus four and a half against the Raiders. I think the Raiders lost a ton on the offensive side of the ball, especially on the offensive line. Um, they bring in Kenyon Drake, and they ha- already have Josh Jacobs. I I don't really get that. Um, the receiver position with Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller. Obviously, Darren Waller, one of the better uh pass catching tight ends in the NFL but the receivers leave little desired that defense is porous and bad looking at the Ravens obviously Lamar Jackson is a good quarterback but he still has not really won the big one they lose J.K. Dobbins who I thought again like Cam Akers in that second year was poised for a huge breakout role they had now have Gus Edwards as their primary back who he's good but remains to be seen if he can be the bell cow every down type guy that they're going to need I think Lamar Jackson is going to be called upon to do a lot for this team especially using his legs which I don't want I'm not rooting for Lamar Jackson injury I don't want that to happen but if he's going to be running the ball more he's obviously going to be taking a few more hits that's something to keep an eye on also, you look at the Ravens, I think their secondary is one of, if not the best in the NFL, with Marcus Peters there at the helm. Their front seven is still sort of able to get after people. The wide receivers for the Ravens, Mark Andrews uh, took a step back last year, but that's okay. If he can get his red zone production back up there to where it was in his first year, then I think the passing offense 
is going to be better. You have Marquise Brown, who struggled with drops his first two years. They draft Bateman, the wide receiver out of Minnesota, but he is unfortunately out for the first couple weeks with a injury. If they can get the passing game and take some pressure off of Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson, then I think the Ravens have a good chance to make some noise in the AFC. But again, as I said, I'm going to take the Ravens to cover the four and a half uh, in this first week one. So to review, the Carson Sack picks of the week we have the Panthers minus five and a half the Packers minus four and the Ravens minus four and a half I will be doing a Twitter thread keeping up to date with my picks and stats and everything like that as I did last year I will be tweeting that out um, on Sunday morning before the games officially get underway and then just to look at the season I've gone down and written down my NFC and AFC uh, predictions. So the NFC in the East we have the Cowboys winning. In the West we have the Seahawks. The North we have the Packers, and the South we have the Bucks. The wild cards I am going to go with the Rams and the 49ers. Um, I have predicted this two years in a row for three teams to make the playoffs from one division with the AFC North. It came true last year. I'm going to double down and change divisions. Um, I'm going to go with that. And then my last wild card team for the NFC is the Washington football team. Some other teams that I think you need to keep an eye on are the Saints, the Vikings, and the Cardinals. I think the NFC West is going to be the best division in football. Um, As long as that division doesn't cannibalize itself and eat each other alive, I think it's very possible they get three teams in. I think the Cardinals are the odd man out there. The Vikings, if that offense can continue to click, they're going to be dangerous. And again, the Saints, there's question marks on both sides of the ball, but they play in one of the weaker divisions in the NFC, and I trust Sean Payton um, a good amount offensive-wise to put up a lot of points. So they are a team to watch potentially for a wild card, but I do not have them ultimately making the playoffs. And then in the AFC, in the East, we have the Bills. The North, we have the Browns. The South, we are going to go with the Indianapolis Colts. The AFC West, we have the Kansas City Chiefs. No surprise there. And then the wild cards, we have the Titans, the Ravens, and then I made a list of people that I think, this is hard. I made the Pats, the the New England Patriots, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Miami Dolphins, and the Los Angeles Chargers. And I have left that last wild card slot blank. Um, I'm going to talk through this a little bit with you. You can hear my thought process. The Patriots with Mac Jones. A great defense, but I don't think enough skill positions and a a, uh, rookie quarterback, so I am out on the Patriots. They've missed the playoffs two years in a row. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I think the defense is okay. Ben Roethlisberger, okay. Running game, okay. I'm going to put them. They can stay. They make it to round two of eliminating things. Miami, quarterback play is a question mark. Defense, I think a full year to... uh, I'd take out Miami. I don't think Miami makes it. And then the Chargers. You know what? That's what we'll do. We'll put the Chargers in there. Going against my better judgment, but I think I trust Justin Herbert right now a little bit more than Pittsburgh. So I'm going to go with the Chargers as the last wild card team in that. And then I don't have a Super Bowl pick right now. Let me look. I am going to say, once again, the Chiefs come out of the AFC, and then the NFC, I'm out on the Bucks. I don't think they repeat. I'm 
Uh, it's hard to say I'm out on the Packers, but I am out on the Packers. Washington football team, I'm out on. I want to say I'm out on the. I'll, I'll go with the Seahawks. I that's craziness right there. But Chiefs Seahawks, and I'll go with the Chiefs to win and cap off the revenge tour. I know that is not a very uh, thin limb to go out on. Chiefs are obviously one of the top two teams in the NFL, if not the top. But I just think. Coupled with what they had last year, coming off that embarrassing loss in the Super Bowl, and then bringing back a ton of guys, retooling that offensive line, Edward Slayer making a jump, and Mahomes being out for blood and revenge, I think uh, we're in for a big year from the Chiefs, ultimately capping in a Super Bowl victory. That is going to do it for episode 86 of Carson Sack Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Before I get out of here, I do want to remind you, like, rate, review, subscribe, all of that good shit on iTunes and Spotify. The Mail Sack comes back next week. Prepare your questions. Get your questions in. Keep your eyes peeled on Instagram and Snapchat for the story to send your questions in. Thank you for listening to episode 86 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. And as we always end here on the sack, we will be seen.